global crisis. Bible prophecy. Health and preparedness. You are just in time. 11th Hour Dispatch. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you are a God of love, that those whom you love, you rebuke and chasten. And we pray that you'd give us wisdom regarding discipline, obedience, rules, and so on with our children in our homes, that we might reflect you to them. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are talking about those whom I love, I I discipline, God tells us. And this means rules, obedience, and discipline, punishments, etc. And I know that even though this is one of the most important lessons of Character development is the first lesson in the Christian life. Also, many will say, oh, this sounds like something about legalism. Come on, Scott, obedience isn't that important. All we need is that affection and connection piece. We don't need to be requiring obedience. Not so. Many souls will be eternally lost because of the neglect of parents to properly discipline their children and to teach them submission to authority in their youth. The parents have thought they loved their children, but have proved themselves their worst enemies. They have let evil go unrestrained. They've allowed their children to cherish sin, which is like cherishing and petting a viper that will not only sting the victim who cherishes it, but all with whom he is connected. Parents should not leave the children to guess at what is right, but should point out the way in unmistakable terms and teach them to walk therein. And this is what George Barna found. Successful parents established and consistently enforced rules. If we have homes of no discipline and raise children who have no order, discipline, obedience, and submission to authority, then what we're giving them is a petting viper to cherish, and it will bite them and everyone around, and eternally lose their souls. These rules should be few and well considered. And once made, they should be enforced. Lessons on obedience, on respect for authority, need to be often repeated. And if we do this whole thing about obedience and house rules and just the way to live life in a respectful, loving, and a submissive manner, submissive to authority, if we do this whole thing right, you know what's going to happen? The children are going to become the enforcers. We were teaching table manners a while back to our children, and we talked about the elbows on the table thing. And I have a habit of that. I like to sometimes get the elbows up on the table. And my son Levi would always be the first. As soon as they were up there, he'd notice. I don't know how he's able to be so observant, but he was like insistent upon it. Um, occasionally, you know, we take off our shoes before we come into the house and before we walk on the carpet. And, um, you know, occasionally you'll have shoes that as an adult, you know the difference between shoes that are dirty and are not. Well, kids, we just, if they're all dirty, we take them all off. But, you know, I'll walk onto the carpet with my shoes with my adult discernment and my son Levi, Dad, you're not supposed to walk on the carpet with shoes. So the kids will be the enforcers if we do this thing right. And you can have many different rules in the home, but we're going to have one main rule that we're going to talk mostly about that will cover many situations. It will cover just the way you daily live life with your children, and it will cover how they are submissive to parental authority. George Barna in his research found that successful parents' children 
knew that their parents were the bosses and in control. So the children knew the parents were in charge. They were obedient to their parents' authority. And many of the ineffective parents in Barna's research were very permissive parents. We live in a postmodern age where there is no right and wrong. There is right and wrong, but in the mindset of the philosophy of our time, people say, you know, do as you please, follow your heart, you know, your own desires, and to each their own, and don't judge, and you can't say, and you know, everybody's got their own thing. I recently had a conversation with a friend who was referring to a blog post that she saw about parents who dedicate an entire day, and they call it a yes day. A day where they will not tell their children no for anything. They will not refuse their children anything. Their children can have whatever they want. Whatever they want, they ask, mom and dad say yes. And she said, and you know, I'm not going to judge that. And I jumped in and said, I am going to judge that. That's terribly unhealthy for kids. They have no order, structure in their lives. That's actually quite fearful for children. If they feel like they can do whatever they want, they don't know where the boundaries in life are. And they live very insecure lives. And so we, we, the culture tells us we're not supposed to tell our children no, but the Bible absolutely says children obey your parents in the Lord. That saying no to your children robs them of their rights. This is not something we ought to be accepting as Christians. In fact, there is a, uh, the United Nations has a convention on the rights of a child, the UN convention on the rights of a child. I read through that some time ago and article 13 of that actually says that your children have a right to access information and worldviews from media sources and to decide their own values. Now, we heard also Melissa Harris-Perry on MSNBC say that your children don't belong to you, they they, they belong to the collective. And I'm saying, time out. The Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. It says, honor your father and mother. And so this whole breakdown of the family, this whole breakdown of truth and error, obedience, reality, this postmodern madness that we live in is weaseling its way into our homes when we say, well, we're not going to say no to our children require obedience. What kind of love is it that permits your child to develop traits of character that will make him and everyone else miserable? Away with such love. True love will look out for the present and eternal good of the soul. Wherever we go, we see children indulged, petted, and praised without discretion. Self-will and pride are evils that turned angels into demons and barred the gates of heaven against them. And yet parents, unconsciously, are systematically training their children to be agents of Satan. Children would be happier, far happier, under proper discipline than if left to do as their unrestrained impulses, untrained impulses suggest. Children who are allowed to have their own way are not happy. That is an important statement. This is about their happiness, not just having us having control over them or, 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 or indulging in our own arbitrary dictatorship of our own selves. No, no, no. This is for their happiness. Children who are allowed to do as they want are not happy. They will be far happier under proper discipline. Child Guidance, page 284, has this wonderful section about how children, there's a law of the mind for all children and all human minds, where if, if, the, if the mind sees something as a possibility, then it will, it will seek to gain that object. But once that object is removed to beyond the realms of the possible, then the mind will move on and occupy itself with other things. But as long as there is some hope of having the desired 
object or whatever the thing is that's desired, then there will be pursuits to gain that. So, in other words, we're ruining our children's happiness if, if, we're, if we're waffly in our parenting. God gave Adam and Eve a whole garden and told them one tree was the no tree. And so we are that way with our children. And they'll enjoy the, everything that we, that we allow them to do if we don't waffle. They want to know how reality works. They want to know how the laws of life work. What are the boundaries? And they will test those boundaries, not because they're necessarily just trying to be bad and rebellious. They want to know, and your job as a parent is to define those boundaries clearly for them. But there's much more than their temporal happiness at play here. In respecting and rendering obedience to their parents, they may learn how to respect and obey their heavenly father. And when we discipline right, we actually have a great opportunity to teach our children about God. Because we're teaching them how to trust us. This is a trust issue. If you say this is not allowed, and then you allow it, well, you're you're lying. You're, You're not a trustworthy person. But with our relationship with God, trust and obey go together. And it's the same thing with our relationship with our children. When we require obedience and we prove ourselves trustworthy, then our children can learn to relate to us with the relationship of trust and obey. And then that will play into their relationship with God. When do you start teaching obedience? Begin in the baby life to teach obedience. Parents, you should commence your first lessons of discipline when your children are babes in your arms. The little ones before they are a year old. We're talking about babies here. Yield and understand what is spoken, hear and understand what is spoken in reference to themselves. And they know what to what extent they are to be indulged already before they're a year old. If thus trained in their babyhood and early childhood, they will learn to obey while very young. Mothers, be sure that you properly discipline your children during the first three years of their lives. As soon as he is capable of understanding, though, his reason should be enlisted on the side of obedience. So we want them to come to that point as they're getting older. Listen to this. If you have waited until your children were three years old to begin to teach them self-control and obedience, seek to do it now, even though it will be much harder. So there's some hope there. Those who realize their deficiency in this respect should make the subject of family government their most diligent study. So in other words, if we waited and we delayed, and we by the way, my own life is a story in this. We were pretty new into present truth when we were having Levi and hadn't studied thoroughly through these councils. And we were doing a lot of things right and then learned a lot as we were going along. And then you find some things are a little bit harder than they might otherwise be. But you you, you press on and then the Lord will take those things that seem impossible. Even if we've missed the best window of opportunity for training our children to obedience, the first three years, even if we've missed that window, it's not too late. It will be much harder. Diligent, diligent study is needed in order to move forward. And so here's how you know if you have true obedience. If the word of the parents, the word of the parents should be law precluding all arguments or evasions. So if they're, if you're, if they're dodging, arguing, evading, then you know you don't have true obedience. Your word is law. That's what that says. Require prompt and perfect obedience. And, you know, we want to balance that out by the fact we're not just like running around barking orders as a drill sergeant all the time. Uh, You know, here's, here's a statement. It's better to request than to command. The one thus addressed has opportunity to prove himself loyal to right principles. We also read that we should give few commands, but see that these are obeyed. Prompt and perfect obedience. No evasions. Your word is law. 
it is not the greatness of the disobedience, but the disobedience itself, which is the crime. So I know we're raising the bar like from here in the culture, or maybe the culture says there's, there's no need for obedience at all. But we're raising it like normal people here. We're going, we want prompted perfect obedience. And we don't want a single time where the child gains an advantage over the, the mother or father, for that matter. A lot of these statements are, are two mothers, but same thing applies, whether it's the mom or the dad. And I know people are thinking, come on, doesn't this sound like a bit much? Prompt and perfect, that sounds a little too strict. Satan will devise every possible means to break down this high standard of piety as one altogether strict, too strict. So there we have it. And again, listen to the other sessions in this series. If all you heard was this like last five minutes, you'd walk away with a totally imbalanced understanding of parenting. We've got to bring in all the different hues and angles and perspectives in in what we do with our children. But obedience is a part of that. Absolute, 100% obedience. Now, how can you do this in a way that isn't torturous for the whole family? (laughs) Well, go back to sessions one through three. If you're walking with God and you have the Spirit of God and your, 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 your child's emotional and physical needs are met with abundance, and you're doing life together as a family. You're connected. You're truly bonded. Your hearts are, are, are fused and welded together. If you're affirming, affectionate, and meeting all those needs, and you have all the things we've talked about, then you know what? This whole experience of obedience is going to be a lot easier, and we're going to make obedience as easy as possible. You're listening to 11th Hour Dispatch with author, teacher, and speaker Scott Ritzmer. For more programs and information, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Kids in America now log 53 hours of screen time per week. Yes, that's about eight hours per day. In Europe, it's literally against the law to air television programs on the public airwaves that are aimed at children under three years old. But America's littlest children now spend, on average, 32 hours per week watching TV. It's been estimated that the average child will spend more time watching TV by the age of six than conversing with his father in his entire life. At every church I speak at, folks say the same thing. Scott, why didn't anybody tell us this before? So, folks, grab a pencil and write this down. Media on the Brain. It's a six-DVD series that will arm you with the vital information on the undeniable effects of entertainment media and how to break free. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls of men. Here's a way to make obedience really difficult. Instead of kindly asking the children to do this or that, they order them in a scolding tone. They do your bidding, not from love, but because they dare not do otherwise. Their heart is not in the matter. It is a drudgery instead of a pleasure. And this often leads them to forget to follow all your directions, which increases your irritation and makes it still worse for the children. The fault-finding is repeated, their bad conduct arrayed before them in glowing colors until discouragement comes over them, and they are not particular whether they please or not. A spirit of, I don't care, seizes them, 
And they seek that pleasure and enjoyment away from home, away from their parents, which they do not find at home. Wouldn't that be tragic? So we want to make obedience as easy as possible. We want to make it so so that we're not just ordering in a scolding tone and running around as some sort of boot camp instructor. No, we want to make obedience as easy as possible. The first way you do that is don't do this. Often we do more to provoke than to win. I have seen a mother snatch from the hand of her child something that was giving it special pleasure. The child did not know the reason for this and naturally felt abused. Then followed a quarrel. So, yeah, we often do more to provoke than to win. Snatch something from their hands? Well, you wouldn't want to be treated that way, right? I mean, let's be kind and firm and affectionate, all of these things in one. And so don't provoke. Fathers do not provoke your children is a divine mandate. And so that's the first way you make obedience as easy as possible is not provoke. Number two, the requirements of parents should always be reasonable. We don't want to be making such difficult and unreasonable requests of them. Don't ask too much that's beyond their capability of where they're at. Uh, for example, you know, don't give six consecutive commands, do all these things to a small child and expect them to memorize them. You're trying to make them succeed. Have that mindset. Make it so that they can succeed. But another way that we can make obedience as easy as possible is before we require something of them, we always want to have their attention first. Make sure that you make eye contact with them. Because if they're not fully attentive, then it will be difficult for them to carry out what you've asked, right? And also don't surprise them. Give them some advanced warning. If they're enjoying some special activity, you don't, boom, snap them right out of that and you need to do something immediately. And you know, occasionally that, that will, that will be necessary, but where possible, give them some advanced warning. You know, in, in, when you're done with that, in, in one minute, I'd like you to do such and such. And then when the minute comes, you, you say, now is the time. That warning time makes it much easier to obey. But also be extremely clear about exactly what you want them to do. Don't make them guess. Make it as easy as possible. Be crystal clear exactly what you'd like them to do. Tell your children exactly what you require of them. Another way to make obedience as easy as possible is to use few words. They don't need a whole paragraph, argumentation, and treatise on why it is that they're supposed to do what you're asking of them. Just be simple, straight to the point. This is what needs to be done. Now, another, another way to make obedience easier is be sure that the tone of your voice betrays no irritation. That is another example of provoking. Another thing to make it easier is don't ask questions, but make statements. With a small child especially, if you phrase it in the way of a question and sound like you're giving them an option, well, you know, they're always going to say no, right? Um, So make statements. This is what I'd like you to do. And then also phrase things in the positive where possible because it gives them a very visual, tactile way to think about what they're supposed to do. Uh, Let me give you an example. Uh, the, The child has climbed up on the coffee table. It's not supposed to be there. Okay, you could say, you're not supposed to be on the coffee table, or don't be on the coffee table. That's clear enough, that ought to work, but an even more clear way is to give them the visual of get down from the coffee table. You might be like, well, what's the difference? Well, get down from it gives the actual positive clarification of what they are supposed to do, not just what they aren't supposed to do. It just makes it easier for them to think through it. I know that sounds like such a small difference, but here's an illustration. Close your eyes, and I want you to not think about an elephant. Now you can open your eyes. I I think everybody just thought about an elephant, didn't they? Because when I tell you not to do something, it puts that thing in your head. Now let's try another one. Close your eyes. Think about a donkey. 
Okay. Now, when I said donkey, how many of you thought about an elephant? No, you thought about the donkey, didn't you? Because I gave you a positive command. Instead of saying, don't think about an elephant, I said, think about a donkey. So you got the visual of this is what I can do instead of the misbehavior. So, as we read in Child Guidance, seek to correct their faults by encouraging opposite traits. So, there's another example of how to make obedience easier. Also, don't ask something of them and then get busy and ignore them. Because then they'll get in the habit of, oh, I just got to wait a second, and then mom will be on with something else, and I can not follow through with what she has asked me to do. Do not let your mind become so absorbed in other things as to cause you to grow careless. So there's the, there's the clear statement there. Another way to make obedience easy is to, is to consistently enforce it. And this is over time, have a track record of always requiring it. And you know what? That's going to make it easier for them. It's not enough to say do this or do that, and then become utterly regardless and forgetful of what you have required. Penalty of disobedience should be as unvarying as are the laws of nature. I don't know a lot of children who will walk up to a precipice and look down and say, I think I'm going to jump. You know, they know the laws of nature are suggesting to me that this is dangerous. They might say a baby might not realize that, but older children have enough experience with gravity. Their experience in the home with their parents needs to be just the same. Engaging in this kind of behavior yields a negative consequence. Engaging in this kind of behavior brings positive results. And if that is so firm and so fixed and so consistent, it happens over and over and over again, then what we just read, then your requirements will be as unvarying as the laws of nature. And they will just step into them much more easily and naturally. So before we start talking about these specific consequences and punishments that that might bring negative consequences to them, I want to shift gears and talk just for a second about baby toddler tantrums. Because, you know, there is a time that it's okay. You know, we're training, yes, like my wife said, but sometimes it's okay to divert their minds and, and to, to, to get their mind off of something that they're upset about. It says, while they are too young to reason with, divert their minds as best as you can. We used to take Levi when he'd have one of these upset moments. We'd, I would just pick him up, walk him over to the door. I'd open the door and he'd look out the screen door, he'd feel the air, he'd hear the birds, he'd see the outside, and he'd totally forget what he was upset about. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, with Silas, I know this sounds crazy and weird, but when he was a, a very young baby, I would pick him up, I still do this with him, but I learned this and I would pick him up upside down. And I would just walk around the kitchen like this and he'd be enthralled about the upside down world and how it looks and he would immediately stop being upset. And so, that's weird dad ways of soothing children. I know moms have their own special motherly ways, but you know, you figure out your own things to divert their minds. And, um, you know, each child does their tantrums differently too. You might be like, what tantrums are you talking about? We, we wouldn't have thought of them as tantrums if we, you know, didn't notice it. And this counsel is valuable for any age. There are times when the determination of the mother meets the determination of the child. This is a crisis that should seldom be permitted to come. So you don't want that conflict of wills. For both mother and child will have a hard struggle. Great care should be shown to avoid such an issue. I've seen parenting counsel out there that basically says, invite every conflict, bring every battle in, because those are opportunities to teach your children that you're the boss. That's not necessary. There are enough, there's thousands of potential conflicts between parents and children because they're learning to submit to an authority, which is a hard thing to learn. 
It said these crises should be seldom permitted to come. Avoid such an issue when, where possible. So bring all these quotes together. I know this is complicated, but make sure to get the balanced view of this. We want to avoid as many of those as we can. It's going to make for a better relationship with the child. They're going to love us more, want to be around us more if we're not just the dictator of the home. So diverting, avoiding, those are important things. But also, there are other ways to deal with an emotionally upset child, whether it's a tantruming baby or an old, you know. Let's talk about the, the tantruming baby. I have often seen the little one throw itself and scream if its will is crossed in any way. This is the time to rebuke the evil spirit. Another statement similar it says mothers should not allow them to pound their heads on the floor. Let the mothers educate them in their infancy. Commence with the songs of Bethlehem. These soft tunes will have a quieting influence. So we're rebuking the evil spirit. We're commencing with the songs of Bethlehem. Mothers see Satan working in the self-willed child of even but a few months of age. It is the greatest cruelty to let Satan have the possession of that tender, helpless child. Satan must be rebuked. His hold on the child must be broken. If correction is needed, be faithful, be true. So... Those are some suggestions. We've gone through a lot of them, but there also isn't a one-size-fits-all method for every child. This is an important statement regarding that. It says the mother must study how to deal with him in such a way that he will be drawn to Jesus. She must pray in faith that Satan shall not be victor over the child's will. The heavenly angels are watching the scene. So you see here, you're going to need to be led by the Spirit. Be in prayer. Heavenly angels are present there. You, you know, the mother must, must, must study how to deal with the child in a way that he will be drawn to Jesus. Each child is going to need their own different profile attack and, 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 and methods. Oh, by the way, the first part of this quote here is absolute for all children. It says, the mother is to keep her words under perfect control. There are to be no loud voiced commands. That's for all kids. Nothing is to be done that will develop a defiant spirit in the child. So you heard it there. We do not have loud voice commands. We're not provoking our children. The bottom line, though, with this obedience thing is if you allow your children to disobey and get angry and have tantrums, get all emotionally upset because you're trying to be nice and loving, that's a problem because true love is not exercised toward children when they are allowed to indulge passion or when disobedience of your laws is permitted to go unpunished. As the twig is bent, the tree is inclined. So, enough on emotional, passionate expressions of anger and frustration. How do we enforce the rules when a child is disobedient? George Barna found that successful parents enforced rules. They had homes of discipline. And so we're going to finally get into the real meat of this presentation, And we're going to start with this statement that the parent who, when correcting a child, gives way to anger is more at fault than the child. And ask the gardener by what process he makes every branch and leaf to flourish so beautifully and to develop in symmetry and loveliness. He will tell you that it was by no rude touch, no violent effort, for this would only break the delicate stems. It was by little attentions often repeated. This is the first thing we got to hit, but be careful, mothers. Never scold for that. Never helps. This is not how we enforce the rules. Correct their errors and patiently teach them the right way. Be patient with their imperfections, as God is patient with you in your imperfections. What is scolding, by the way? It says, never scold for that. Never helps. It fretfully using that unpleasant, harsh, accusing tone. The one that we maybe all heard from our parents and their frustrated moments. 
And, you know, we've got a lot of baggage on how we view discipline. So when I said this is the meat of how we enforce the rules and, and have discipline in our homes, we've got to shed a lot of the ways that we view how to do this. In fact, the word discipline doesn't even mean painful experience of anger or anything. Discipline just means to teach. The root of that is to disciple, to teach. And so discipline is not, I want to be very clear on this, discipline is not a system of giving the child what he deserves. The purpose is to teach. The purpose of punishment is to teach. And why am I saying this? Jesus already took that penalty on the cross. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Here's Scott Ritzema with another final minute message. Compulsive texting while driving has caused half of all teenage accidents. Very serious issue when it comes to the lives of young people who are dying in car accidents because of texting. Listen to this study, a Hewlett-Packard commission. They commissioned an IQ test of distracted test takers. So basically, they would have people take an IQ test, and then they would send them text messages. They would send them interruptions. The people who were being distracted had a 10-point reduction in IQ versus those who were not. A 10-point reduction in IQ is more than twice the drop in IQ than somebody high on marijuana. That's a serious drop in IQ. The interesting thing that they found in this study actually was while these people were instructed not to answer the emails, they had this compulsion to do so at their own demise. And they said this behavior looks like the behavior of an addict. Brought to you by BeltofTruthMinistries.org.